Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan, and we have an awesome show for you today. But before we get into that, I'd like to remind everybody that if you have not subscribed to the podcast, please do so to get updated whenever we drop a new episode. Leave us rating and review. As always, those are always appreciated. And if not, tell just a few of your friends about our podcast. We're available on all major podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at Any Given You is the Instagram handle. Hit the link tree to get access to everything Any Given You. I am finally off the road. I am back in Columbus, Georgia. Thank goodness. Um, Never thought I'd be happy to see Columbus, Georgia, but (laughs) I am happy to be home and recording another episode for you fine folks. We Definitely, it's been a little bit. Uh, it's been a little more than a week, which is out of character for me in between episodes here. And uh, we certainly have quite a bit to get caught up on, seeing as how we have not talked about any of our bowl uh, results since the Utah State, Oregon State bowl that was played all the way back on December 18th. As we know, we are approaching the end of the month and all these New Year's Six Bowls are starting up. We had one today, which we'll we'll talk about as we go along in the episode. I'm currently sitting in my office. I have the Las Vegas Bowl that is going down between the Wisconsin Badgers and the Arizona State Sun Devils muted on the TV. Looks like Wisconsin is up 17 to 6, which makes me happy because we took Wisconsin and the points for this one. But let's go back and address some of these some of these bowl games, how they how they uh kind of played out and and what our thoughts on them were, right? So to start off, we had the Myrtle Beach Bowl. That was uh, Old Dominion and Tulsa playing. And what we uh, kind of thought would happen in this game didn't, didn't quite uh, play out that way. We took Old Dominion to cover because we thought they would play a, you know, a, a tough game with a, with a high level of energy and effort. It didn't, didn't quite happen that way. Tulsa expressed itself as the better team on the day. Uh, the American Conference in general is doing very well in bowl games at this point during the bowl season. They are undefeated, and they have a big one, obviously, a, a matchup with Alabama that it will be going down on New Year's Eve to uh, determine their fate in the college football playoff. But Tulsa was just the better team on the day. Uh, we had uh, – the, the final score in this one, 30 to 17, not too much to unpack here as far as uh, stats and all that. It was more of a general feeling. We thought that Old Dominion would sort of thrive on the smaller crowd atmosphere for the day, the lower energy atmosphere for the day. Turns out that the Myrtle Beach Bowl was actually pretty lit. Uh, the near capacity crowd definitely into it for the bowl game. Uh and, and Tulsa ended up getting the win there. So, so we took an L on that one. Uh, on the next day, Tuesday, December the 21st, we had UTSA taken on it, San Diego State. We went with the Roadrunners in this one, and we lost again, unfortunately. San Diego State taking care of business 38-24, to scoring an uncharacteristically high number of points in that game compared to how we thought that one might go. What we could not account for were the double-digit players that were missing for the Roadrunners. We did know that Sincere McCormick was opting out. We knew that their starting cornerback was opting out. By the time it was kickoff, uh, there was upwards of a dozen Roadrunners that were going to end up missing that contest. 
And I think that that definitely, definitely played a part in what we saw play out on the field versus San Diego State. I feel like those players being in the game would have made a huge difference. I believe UTSA would have gotten that win hadn't they, you know, if not for all those opt-outs. But we did end up missing on that one. Kent State, Wyoming was played that day as well in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Uh, we took the Cowboys in that one as we were sort of fading the MAC here. The MAC a conference not doing so hot in postseason uh, thus far. And the fade the MAC principle kind of cashed in for us here as we thought that Kent State would have problems with Wyoming's physicality, especially from the running back position and also the quarterback position being a dual threat. Um, they got uh, they got physical with them, were able to push them around. And Kent State's up-tempo offense, when it was held to three and outs, actually was working against the defense. And you'll see that in those more up-tempo teams. If they don't have success moving the ball, their defense really does pay the price on the back end, and, and things can get a little bit out of hand as the Cowboys wound up winning that contest by a score of 52-38. to 38. On Wednesday, December the 22nd, we had the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl, a matchup between Missouri and Army. This would be the first SEC competition on the bowl slate. And Army did get the win 24 to 22. We took Army for the win. We took Missouri for the cover, as I believe Army at the time was favored by nearly eight points. I think seven and a half was the line we took it on. This one played out almost exactly how we thought it would, except we also did like the over. I don't know if we made that an official play or not, but for recording purposes, let's just go go ahead and say we did. 24 to 22 didn't hit the over. However, both offenses did have success moving the ball on the day. Two different attacks, um, primarily between Army's tr triple option attack and then Missouri running a little bit more conventional pro-style stuff. Uh, but both both uh, offenses found success moving the ball. We thought that the over would hit because of the very, very poor level of red zone defense both of these teams had played during the season. However, in this matchup, both of these red zone defenses kind of bowed up and played a lot better than expected. And then Army wins it on a last-second field goal in dramatic fashion. Uh, very entertaining bowl game. Definitely one of the more entertaining bowl games of the season. We're glad we got the win on that one. North Texas versus Miami of Ohio, taking it to the next day on Thursday, December 23rd. They faced off in the Frisco Football Classic. We, you know, we really did like North Texas for this one uh, versus Miami of Ohio. Again, sticking with our sort of fade the Mac principle here. Both coaches for this, for these games, for each one of these, uh, for this game, for each one of these teams is a little bit beleaguered in bowl season, not a very good postseason record for either one of them. North Texas, we felt their ability to run the football was going to be able to pay dividends against this Miami of Ohio defense. But honestly, Miami of Ohio just showed that they were kind of just flat out the better team. And there's a little bit of snake oil there with UNT down the stretch. Now, North Texas had won several games in a row, I believe five games in a row, to get into the postseason to be able to play in this game in the first place. We thought that momentum would carry them a little bit in this bowl game, but Miami of Ohio, the better team on the day, 27-14, to 14, they get the win. And then 
that evening we had the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl played in Tampa, which was a showdown of supremacy for the state of Florida, the state championship, if you will, on the line between the UCF Knights and the Florida Gators. Now, what we liked about this matchup for the Knights was the fact that they had Gus Malzahn, a seasoned head coach, in the seat for this bowl game, Florida having to go with an interim head coach. We like the fact that UCF had in-state Florida talent or has in-state Florida talent and the speed, that sort of speed to be able to match up uh, with, with an SEC team. However, we did roll with the Gators on the day because we did feel that the Gators' size, speed, physicality was still going to give them an edge in this contest. And as far as in terms of motivation – we felt that the challenge from UCF and a little bit of the undercurrent of the bad blood that had been brewing between these two programs in sort of negotiations for home and home and uh, you know, shots fired back and forth in uh, through the media, that Florida would be motivated for this game. I just feel like, honestly, they were not well coached in this competition. I feel that there was a lot of things that – you, you saw a difference between a sitting seasoned head coach and an interim head coach and the product that kind of played out on the field. I felt like Florida abandoned their run game very early in this contest. Um, it was kind of upsetting to see because you could see the size and, and strength and speed advantage tilted towards Florida. But I felt be, because of poor game management, and some things that they were doing instead of running the ball out of traditional sets, going to an open set with Emory Jones and expecting him to win the game with his arm, which is something that he hasn't been suited for all year, just really was a little bit of a head scratcher to me. I feel like Florida really pissed away an opportunity to establish themselves and, and, and set the tempo for the game. And UCF really did take advantage of that. Gus Malzahn did a really good job dialing up some explosive plays. And UCF did a great job executing on those. Defensively, UCF played very hard, very tough in the trenches, and actually wore down that that uh, Florida offensive line. Florida also gave them a little bit of help in the penalty department, as we should have expected out of the squad that plays with a lot of just sort of sloppy, boneheaded type of stuff, not a ton of composure in these tight spots. So a little bit kicking myself. What was interesting – on a, on a 50,000 foot perspective from this game for between UCF and Florida is again, alluding to that state championship type of deal. Uh, what does this look like as UCF transitions from a group of five program into a power five position with the big 12? What are the ripple effects of future recruits recruiting and establishing the pecking order of these programs in the state of Florida that might come off of this game. I feel games like this can have lasting impacts on programs. It'll be really interesting to see what happens as far as these two programs go with UCF and Florida. Taking it into the next day, which would have been a matchup between Memphis and Hawaii. This was canceled, unfortunately, but it was the, uh, the Hawaii Bowl. And Memphis was uh, favored by nearly double digits by the time this game was canceled. There was a lot of questions about Hawaii's ability to field a team, locker room culture type stuff, COVID considerations, everything else. And as the, that noise got a little bit louder as we got closer to 
what would have been kickoff the game was eventually canceled. I believe Memphis would have drugged these guys anyway, but uh, that was just my two cents on that one. On Saturday, December 25th, we had a showdown between Georgia State and Ball State. This was, again, a Sun Belt and MAC matchup. Again, we played our fade the MAC principle, and again, this played out huge for us as we did take Georgia State and the points, plus the points. Georgia State was able to win on the day 51-20 to as they absolutely throttled Ball State. I felt like they did a really good job of establishing the run. Uh, Darian Granger at quarterback did a great job uh, executing that spread option that uh, Georgia State likes to run as they racked up the rushing yards, got physical with these guys, played played really well on defense too. I felt like they did some things to really take Ball State out of their game. They get the big win in the Camilla Bowl, uh, again, 51-20. to 20. Going into December the 27th, we had a matchup early in the day between Western Michigan and Nevada in the Quick Lane Bowl. Western Michigan, we sided with them as Nevada had some key personnel out for this contest. And when I say key personnel, I mean literally the coaching staff, their starting quarterback, starting tight end, one, two, three wide receivers, um, a, a host of guys on the offensive side of the ball, a couple of defensive guys injured. And so we thought that that would be enough to swing momentum back to a, a Western Michigan team that was actually pretty damn good and honestly should compete in the MAC for a MAC title probably next year, as a lot of their roster will be returning. They bludgeoned the Wolf Pack to the tune of 52 to 24. We did get the win on the day for that. We also took the points on that one. So good for us going into December the 28th we had a whole bunch of matchups and this day went I for us I guess you could say there was also another bowl cancellation unfortunately on this one the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl what was supposed to be between UCLA and number 18 NC State was canceled um, for a while it was postponed as they were searching for another opponent for NC State, as I believe they were already in the state of California at the venue ready to play. Uh, however, that did not materialize, so it is an outright cancellation at this point. The rest of the matchups on the day, we had the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl that took place between number 20 Houston and Auburn, <laughs> the Auburn Tigers. Houston gets the win in a defensive battle, 17-13. to 13. What was most frustrating about this game for me was again, you saw the SEC speed expressed. You saw the size. You saw the physicality. You saw the good defensive play out of Auburn. I felt very, very bad for this defense by the end of the day. Hey, there you go. 20 to 6, Wisconsin over Arizona State update. Um, where was I? Auburn. Yeah, the Auburn Tigers, the, their defensive unit played extremely hard. Um, Smoke Monday was out there. One last time, suited it up, provided a lot of direction and leadership and motivation to that defensive side of the ball. Unfortunately, his day was ended on a targeting call, his second of the day, actually. The first one, they picked up the flag, but in the second half, on a play, there was an interception. Smoke goes to lay a block. They call it a targeting foul. He's out. And I feel that that might have been a little bit of the nail in the coffin, I guess, you could say for Auburn defensively, because there was some things at that point that they were struggling to figure out on the back end as Houston was able to get that score late in the game. Um, but Auburn's defense gave gave the, uh, the, the Tigers offense every single opportunity they had to win the game. 
TJ Finley had a pretty abysmal day, around 50% accurate. Uh, I, I don't even know what his stat line for yards was. It wasn't good. As he continued to underthrow or overthrow wide open wide receivers uh, pretty much all afternoon. And it was very, it must have been very, very frustrating if you're a true Auburn fan. I know it was frustrating for me to watch knowing that potentially the better team let one get away from them. But congratulations to the Houston Cougars on a program uh, high watermark getting their uh, 12th win of the year. They finished 12 and 2. Congratulations to Dana Holgerson. Finally gets a win in uh, his postseason. Uh, I think he's 2 and 7 now in the postseason. So congratulations for him and the Houston Cougars. Air Force versus Louisville in the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl. This one we took Air Force. Air Force did get the win. And we sort of low key had a feeling that, that this bowl might have been, might be the most entertaining bowl of the day, and it absolutely did not disappoint. As Air Force flips the script and goes for over 250 yards passing, Hazik Daniels on the day, 252 yards passing, a couple of touchdown strikes. Uh, Air Force beats Louisville 31-28. to I was very surprised that Air Force was actually able to sort of hold Malik Cunningham in check as, as I was a little bit worried about our pick with Air Force uh, getting, you know, kind of spoiled by his level of athleticism and playmaking ability, kind of like Malik Willis does for Liberty. When you have a guy on the field that, that is that talented, that athletic, that fast, uh, you know, sometimes you can have every other condition set and it just doesn't really matter. But Air Force did a good job. I think neutralizing him enough times to steal this win, hang on and survive uh, and and get the win in this one. So good job for them and good job for us getting a win on that one. We did take the L on Mississippi State versus Texas Tech. I honestly, you know what, I was was surprised. I was as shocked as everybody else. Not at the fact so much that Mississippi State lost, but the manner in which they lost being dominated by a Texas Tech team that honestly we didn't trust either. But it goes to show you again, with this Mike Leach program, you just cannot, the results may vary. It's the same thing when you take a look at Mac Brown at North Carolina or you take a look at the Florida Gators. Results may vary. There is a volatility factor with this Mississippi State squad where they're either going to play like, you know, SEC championship caliber at, at their ceiling, you know, out of nowhere, give, pushing teams they shouldn't be pushing and then messing around with their food and, and losing to teams that they shouldn't be losing to. And and that's what we saw in this one, just simple and plain as Texas Tech just absolutely demolished them. They just didn't look interested in playing in this bowl game. Again, double-digit guys out right at kickoff announced things that these coaching staffs are playing close to the chest because they want to be able to prepare and you know, not give the other team too much of an advantage knowing who's going to be there or who's not going to be there. But it does make a huge impact in these games. I think it made a huge impact on this game with Texas Tech. I will say, given the demeanor of this team and this coaching staff, I don't know if those 10 guys would have mattered or not. So Texas Tech just looked like the more motivated team, the more crisp team, and they were the team that got it done. So we took an L on that one. And then Minnesota got us a win to close the night, thank goodness against West Virginia. What we liked about Minnesota was their big physical offensive line to be able to set the tone against this West Virginia defense. Uh, With Letty Brown missing from West Virginia, he's a huge component of what 
they were doing offensively. And Jarrett Dagey is just not the guy who is, who's going to put the team on his back and win the game. We like Minnesota's defense. We like Minnesota's physicality, as both of those things really came to fruition as they played. Tanner Morgan had an efficient day. Uh, tossing the ball around and and honestly this this one could have been even more out of hand as I do have to give some credit to West Virginia's defense they played very hard in the red zone and actually turned the Minnesota Golden Gophers away I think three times um, and in the in the opening possessions of the games instead of uh, instead of touchdowns turning them away for, for for just field goals making them settle for field goals instead it could have been a lot uglier um, had they not played to the level of effort that they did. Neil Brown is still, I think, going to build something pretty decent there in West Virginia in the years to come. Uh, But for this year, you know, they kind of were what they were. They're a defensive team that doesn't really scare you offensively. They have to win the field position battle in order to win games, and Minnesota dominated that all day. So that's just how that one played out. Wednesday, December the 29th, we're talking, uh, well, Let's see here. We're, we're going to talk some bowl matchups here that, that we're talking technically, I guess I'm recording after midnight. So it's two days ago now, but for me, it's, it's sort of yesterday mentally. Um, we are talking the bowl games between Maryland and Virginia tech, which was the new era pinstripe bowl. We took the Maryland Terrapins in this one to win comfortably because Virginia tech is just a program that just, honestly is in shambles. It was already a program that sort of disappointed on the year when they had full coaching staff continuity and everybody available for, for the roster. They come into this one with Braxton Burmeister already not with the team having entered the transfer portal. Obviously Justin Fuente was let go from the program. Uh, a, a host of other guys either injured or in the transfer portal. A lot of guys for Virginia tech, not available interim head coaching situation going against a Maryland team that had full continuity and a motivation to play this game as it would have been Mike Loxley and Maryland's first winning season under his tenure there. And so uh, they put it on him. They beat him 54 to 10. The game started with a punt return for a touchdown from the Terrapins and you just saw them land explosive play after explosive play as Talia Tugavailoa actually had a very, efficient day through the air, didn't make mistakes, took care of the football, and there, those were the results on that one as Virginia Tech was just completely inept to, to, to stop that, the, that offensive attack. Clemson versus Iowa State in the Cheez-It Bowl. We liked Clemson for the win. We took Clemson for the win. We also took the under in this one, which definitely hit as we were looking at two top 15 defenses nationally. Um. What can I say about this one other than, you know, what a a heck of a defensive performance out of Clemson. Iowa State also gave them, you know, put up a great fight on the defensive side of the ball as well. We what we what we liked Clemson to be able to do was dominate in the trenches, which they did. We also have seen we've turned on the tape. We've seen Brock Purdy in these high pressure sort of games he has a tendency to turn the ball over and he did that again as he did wind up throwing an interception had a very strange interception play as there was a pass deflected that he was trying to swat down into the turf one of the Clemson players took advantage of it grabbed it and 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 took it for a pick six and then to close out the game he's he's stripped of the ball the ball rolls back 
behind the line again. He falls on it to recover the ball, and that's actually how the, the play ends on a fourth down, which he technically had a, a run of negative six yards. It just, it, it's a really heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching way for him to finish his season at Iowa State or finish his career at Iowa State, I should say, um, holding 32 school records or a share of at least 32 school records there and a very storied career at Iowa State to, to just be bit by that turnover bug in these high-pressure games. So you hate it for the kid. However, we just knew that Clemson's size – uh, speed, physicality, superior recruiting over the last couple of years was going to make the difference in this game, and so it did. And then last night in what I think honestly was probably the most exciting bowl game, or really it was a bowl game, it was a tale of two halves in this one because it was utter domination in the first half, and then there was an actual there was an actual fight in the second half. There was you know quite a game. The Valero-Alamo Bowl – between number 16, Oklahoma, number 14, Oregon. And like I said, in the first half of this game, Oklahoma absolutely dominated the tune of 30-3 to at halftime. I was about to just turn it off and go to bed, but I kind of had a sneaking suspicion we might see some adjustments. We may see some fireworks in the second half. And, you know, funny enough, Oregon's Travis Dye actually led the night in rushing with 153 by the end of this competition. Anthony Brown had 306 yards passing. As Oregon comes surging back to score 29 points in the second half, outscoring Oklahoma in the second half, 29 to 17. Final score was 47 to 32. We definitely did like the over in this one. Um, as th there were key defensive personnel for both squads that were missing, that we really did feel that it would give these two offenses the advantage of moving the ball. But we didn't expect sort of the, the 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 defensive dominance from Oklahoma early. It was really surprising um, that they were playing to that level of effort. And some of the things that they were doing defensively, we should have known that Bob Stoops was kind of going to have his touch on this Oklahoma team. We saw some things Oklahoma were doing defensively, moving guys up front, stemming, changing pre-snap looks. It was really awesome defensive work from a defensive-minded coach and you could just tell and, and you get that touch point with him coaching this team. It really is interesting to see moving forward how Brett Venables will touch this team in the same way. If we continue to see this, this sort of defensive resurgence with the Oklahoma Sooners and then on the offensive side of the ball, should Caleb Williams decide to stay and come out of the transfer portal and stay at Oklahoma. He played brilliantly last night, by the way. This Oklahoma Sooners program, I think, is going to be in some pretty good hands. But very entertaining bowl game. It was really cool to see the fight out of the Oregon Ducks. Uh, they had every reason to lay down. They didn't. Uh, I think they regained a little bit of some pride and honor in that second half. Being down 30-3 to three on the road is, is a tough environment to be in. And, uh, and you know, they, they made a game of it by the end. As for Oregon, I think the defensive – side of the ball is well stocked as far as that room goes. They have a very defensive-minded coach and Dan Lanning taking the reins for 2022. I think this is also a program that'll be in a pretty good spot. They're not barren. The cabinet is not barren, as I like to say. Uh, Dan Lanning, one of the better uh, coaches in, in the recruiting department nationally and a defensive-minded guy with a very full defensive uh, 
roster waiting for him there. So I think it'll be really exciting to see where these two programs go as we move into next season. And that's it. That gets us caught up. This is bowl season episode part two. We're definitely looking forward and leaning forward to these bowl games on New Year's Eve. Tomorrow, of course, the college football playoff semifinal. We have Alabama versus Cincinnati. We have Georgia versus Michigan. I think I'm going to definitely work on putting out some quick previews of those as those are interesting matchups and they will determine the fate of the national championship. Hey, if you heard and you liked what you heard here today, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and review, and uh, tell your friends about the podcast. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given team, get it at any given you.